Filmmaking is definitely a, a teamwork pursuit, and uh, it, it's not about one person. It's about everyone working together for a common goal. You're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, AJ Meyer, and coming up in episode 268, we've got part two of Trevor's chat with director Brian Beasley, in which Brian shares the hardest directing job he's ever had, what actors do that he loves and hates, the pros and cons of stage-trained versus screen-trained actors. The one thing that's just an absolute deal-breaker for him on set. The lessons that he learned meeting and working with, get this, Megadeth frontman Dave Mustaine. And more. It's all coming up in episode 268, so stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. And it's now available in the iTunes App Store. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger choices, and do a whole lot more, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn about all the great new features in the newest version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. And by printheadshots.com, superior headshot printing. At printheadshots.com, all orders include free shipping, free retouching, free layouts, free proofs, and no hidden fees. You don't pay a dime until you approve your proofs. And you can use the promo code IA, that's IA as in inside acting, all this month to get $5 off your order. Most orders arrive within just a day or two. So for superior printed headshots, visit printheadshots.com and use promo code IA for $5 off. Printheadshots.com, superior headshots at the lowest price guaranteed. Hey everyone, so welcome to episode 268. So I am currently on the East Coast, which I will talk a little bit more about later on in the episode, but uh, Trevor and I were, were going to record uh, remotely via Skype, and then we couldn't get our schedules to line up with the difference in the, in the time zones, which it's been a long time since we've had to deal with that as an issue, um, and then uh, some other stuff came up, uh, Trevor's uh, got some family things that he's he's dealing with right now, so I am uh, taking on the entirety of the episode. Unfortunately, I didn't obviously know that I was going to be doing that, so I don't have any of my audio gear with me. So this whole episode is being brought to you by my iPhone 7 and its accompanying lightning headphones. So uh, that is why uh, it's not the standard audio quality you may be used to, and also explains why it's just me this week. Um, got a, a few top of show announcements. I really wish Trevor around, was around for this one, but we didn't want to wait any longer because uh, she's doing such a bang up job right now. 
Uh, we just want to announce that Grace Gordon, longtime listener, supporter of the podcast, she's currently running our Artist Way IAP cluster in the IAP membership. But Grace Gordon is now heading up our PR and social media. So, yay, Grace, welcome to the team. We're so excited to have you. And like I said, she's already been doing such an amazing job. Um, and she's only been at it for like a, a week or so. Speaking of the membership, we have a new member in Marissa Brown. Welcome. Welcome to the membership. Hopefully you're getting in there and getting some, some value out of it. Our Artist Way IAP cluster continues to rock the house, so jump in and join us. Um, thank you, as always, to the beautiful and brilliant Grace Gordon for creating and holding the space for us to go on this journey together. So, since it's just me this episode, in terms of catching up, as it were, I, as I said, I'm on the East Coast. I came to, well, first Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, to do a show with the Jewish Women's Theater, which I've worked with in Los Angeles. They were invited to Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, to do a two-night-only production of one of their readings that I am, that I am in. And since it was, you know, a, a free trip to the East Coast, so to speak, I was like, hey, would you be willing to fly me out of New York? And they were. So I took a Greyhound up a couple days ago, and I've been in the city. Um, it's, it's really amazing and so inspiring to see that a lot of the people who I was in Heathers with when I was here in New York have gone on to continue to do amazing things. I saw two shows yesterday in which uh, friends were making Broadway debuts. Uh, another friend is currently on Broadway, and then another, actually uh, two others, so that's four, right? So there's somebody in Sunset Boulevard, somebody in Waitress, somebody in Dear Evan Hansen. These are all people who are Heather's alum. And then someone in Beautiful, the musical. And then there's another one I just found out who's going to be joining that friend in Beautiful. So uh, really awesome to see that this huge off-Broadway show acted as a stepping stone for these people and definitely mi makes me miss miss New York. And, uh, you know, obviously there's like feelings of, uh, I want to talk about this since we do talk about the inner game on the podcast. There's these feelings of, you know, oh man, like uh, comparison, like should I, should I have stuck around or, or um, you know, how come I'm not, you know, uh, seeing this kind of, of success in, in my own career. But I get to, I get to squash that. All boats rise with the tide. I get to be, you know, uh, excited and and happy for these people because putting that type of energy out into the world, putting that type of energy into their career and my career is really the secret. That's what's going to eventually, you know, book me uh, the next job. Hopefully, while I am here, I get a chance to go on some auditions, but that's not the priority. <clears throat> the priority is, you know, seeing my friends, relaxing. I purposefully made no plans for New York so that I could just walk the city, let the city take me where it wants to take me, go see shows, go to Central Park, go to some of the old haunts from when I used to live here. Um, I already went back and visited my uh, my old Apple store and and uh, recognized a lot of people, which was which was really great. And they. They missed my, my presence, which I was not expecting. So all in all, it's been a great trip so far. I'm really excited to see what's next. Um, and, um, you know, you can't help but have a good time in this city. It's, 
It's a beautiful city. It's I love being able to walk around in it. You know, it's something uh, Jasmine actually pointed out to me. We were on the phone the other day when I was walking around New York, and she said, "You can't really do that in Los Angeles. You can't you, if you just wanted to wander. It's really hard. You have to. You can walk around your neighborhood, sure, but <clears throat> it's not the same. You know, you have to. If you want to go somewhere, you have to get in your car and go to a specific place. But in New York, you can just wander and." You know, she and I both have a bit of wanderlust, and I know there's a lot of other people that have that same feeling out there. So, you know, if you feel like you are the kind of person who who experiences the the bug that is wanderlust, you know, I think uh, I think New York might be a place for you. It might be something to check out. So, I'm sure there's plenty of other stuff to talk about while I'm here, but uh, without Trevor around to uh, bounce things off of, I'll leave it at that. We've got a couple of listener, uh, more comments than questions. After the last episode, you know, we talked about some big topics, including this uh, lawsuit with the CD workshops, and then uh, we had this conversation about thrival jobs. I'm going to save the comment that we got in from Will about the CD workshops until Trevor's back and we can kind of discuss it some more. He sent in a really great sort of comprehensive viewpoint kind of thing, and I really appreciated it, Um, even addressing some of uh, the things that I had said or asked, and um, I'm really excited to dive into that. I know it's an issue that we keep, you know, banging away at, but it, it, it just seems to be one of those, you know, contentious issues in, in, the, in the industry. So I, I don't know that that conversation is going away anytime, anytime soon, especially as the fallout from this most recent lawsuit, um, you know, uh, comes, to, comes to pass. But we also talked about you know, I, I went on for a bit about my job at Apple, and a longtime listener and supporter of the podcast, Mike Bowers, wrote in uh, something that I actually kind of knew about, but I'm really glad to have somebody, um, <clears throat> you know, who who has a bit more experience with it. But he was recommending um, Starbucks as another great thrival, thrival job. He also gets benefits there, which I did know about. You know, Starbucks actually, before Apple added part-time benefits to... Um, or part-time benefits for their part-time employees, Starbucks was one of the only other companies that did that. And so he says, I get benefits when working there, and there's a huge pool of people available to cover shifts, not only at my own store, and I didn't know about this part of it, but he says at the 12 to 15 other stores in the area. So you can actually reach out to other stores in your area to have somebody cover your shift. So that's a huge pool of people, 12 to 15 stores in an area. And, you know, of course, there's all those jokes about Starbucks uh, coffee being everywhere. They're like on every street corner. So, you know, if you live in a a major market or even a minor market, you should probably be able to find somebody to cover your shift. And like with AJ's situation, he says, anytime I need a shift covered, I ask my coworkers until someone says yes. (laughs) And then I just let my manager know and it's not a problem. And uh, and this is also a really cool thing. My manager always celebrates my success when I tell her about them. That's really cool. I wonder if that's something that is company-wide or if that's just this particular manager. But, you know, I, I, I do hope that 
anybody who's in some kind of thrival job that your management or, or whoever you're working with or for is able to celebrate with you as opposed to be like, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to be around or you know, you're going to get some kind of demerit or you're going to get fired if you go to this, uh, this audition. So basically, Starbucks is another great thrival job with flexibility, Mike says. Love what you do. Keep it up. Thanks, Mike. Great, great call out. Great comment. Thanks for writing in. Um, hopefully, th- these conversations are, are helping people out there. You know, <clears throat> I would never want anyone, myself included, to just have a, a coffee shop or retail uh, salary kind of getting them along for the entirety of their life. And I've been thinking a lot about the idea of either starting my own business or getting into a higher paying job. I'm actually interviewing for a higher paying job at Apple uh, as we speak. Um, And the reason I say that is because, you know, there's always the chance that we aren't going to make a lot of money doing our passion, doing our craft of acting. You know, there's there are ways of making a living where no one knows who you are and you're like a you know D or F list quote unquote celebrity. But there's but even so without anybody without the notoriety, it doesn't matter. There's ways of making a living. And some people do that. And then some people are just not either destined for that or it's not something that they want. They're not, they don't want to, they don't want the hustle. They don't want to um, do whatever it takes on the, maybe the business side of things to, to make enough money for that to be the, the thing that supports them. And all of this is okay. I just wouldn't want anyone to get to a point in their life where say, I don't know, they need to retire or something and can't <laughs> because you know, they haven't built up that, that nest egg. I know that sounds kind of dire, but, you know, I, it, I don't want people to think about that, think about it in that way. I want people to think about it in an empowering way. Like, you can, y- you are worth so much, each and every one of you, and you can go out and and build something in addition to a job at, the apples of the world, the Starbucks of the world, as well as your career in the arts. And that thing can build your abundance, your wealth, your ability, your, your freedom, and your ability to do, you know, make the decisions that you want to make, especially later in life. I'm, I'm speaking from, from, my, from my own experience and speaking for myself. I certainly don't want to be in my current position, at my current retail job, indefinitely. And if I were not allowing myself to grow in the area of abundance, it I would not be able to retire in, in 30 years. Now, I'm never going to retire from acting, of course, but I just mean, you know, I would not, if, if, if things kept on the path that they're on now, I would not have a nest egg. I would not have assets. I would not have investments. And, you know, that, that stuff's real. And, and the older I get, and I'm sure if Trevor were here, he would be agreeing with me. And, um, and since he's very into, 
you know, uh, the whole money management thing would have probably some brilliant insights. So I'm looking forward to having you back on, Trevor. But that that stuff is real. It it, it and it and it needs to be thought about. So <clears throat> these thrival jobs, you know, are great. And the, and you know, my my wish for each and every one of us is that we, you know, hit some hit on some acting something or some artistic something that allows us to go from job to job and and make money and i've had that and other people have had that but sometimes this business can be feast or famine and when it's famine my my wish for all of us is that we have something in place whether it's our own business uh, selling some kind of product um, selling some kind of service something like that that allows us to be sustainable even in those times of famine. All right, so we're going to roll into the second part of Trevor's interview with Brian in just a moment. But before we do, got to mention our sponsor, VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in a voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. All right, guys. So here it is, part two of Trevor's Chat with director Brian Beasley. Hope you enjoy, and I'll catch you on the other side. is never this series of isolated incidents. And mm-hmm. I think Steve Jobs said it, and I've, I've said this in the podcast before, but he said something like, you can only ever connect the dots looking backwards. Right. And I, it's just so cool to hear stories like this, where it's like everything is a piece of the puzzle that later on creates this perfect situation <laughs> if you're kind and you work hard, you know, which obviously you're, you're yeah, both. That's, so. that, those are the two things is like hard work is by far like that's number one. And then second is just being a good, nice person. When I'm on set, like I only want to surround myself with people that I like. Like if you're a diva or you've, you know, you're going to show up to my set and just, you know, have a stick up your ass. There's literally like, all right, I'm putting you on the mm-hmm. list. Like mm-hmm. there's a hundred other sound guys. Like I don't need to work with someone who's going to bring, you know, shit to my, to my table. I mean, matter of fact, going back to, to going on fire and smiling fish, that first independent film. Uh, so since I was second idea, I was in charge of all the PAs and there was this one kid, John Barnett, Jonathan Barnett, who had just, I, I forget where he's from St. Louis. He just moved here. He, we weren't paying anything. He was the only PA showed up every single day for two weeks I've, he eventually became a sound guy. I've used him for almost every project since mm. then because I was like, this guy showed up. PAs would quit left and right on us. But I was like, Jonathan, you're such a great guy. Like, I will never forget that. And he was working for free? Oh, yeah. Working for free for two wow. weeks for us. Yeah. Wow. Now I get to pay him. So it's good. Yeah. 
the moral of the story is the, <laughs> that's right. is, is it really, it's about your character. It's not, it's less about like, Oh, this person's not treating me the way I deserve to be treated. It's about like, well, what are you bringing to the table? hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I have had to learn that lesson a lot of times in my, <laughs> in my life. I, yeah. And I mean, you know, we're no, we're not all saints, you know, and I listen, it's the other way around. Like I've produced other people's projects and I don't want to show up and, and be a burden to the project. Like, uh, uh, filmmaking is definitely a, a, a teamwork pursuit and, uh, it, it's not about one person. It's about everyone working together for a common goal. You've been described to me as an actor's director. Okay. Somebody who shall remain nameless. No, it was Jen. Um, she told me, you know, she's like, Brian is such a great actor's director. Like he just gets how to talk to actors. He's a joy for actors to work with. Like it's his favorite part of the whole entire process. You guys got to talk about that. So what does it mean to you when somebody calls you an actor's director? Well, first of all, I take that as an extreme compliment because honestly, um, I've been doing documentaries. I did my first documentary feature in 2008 and I've been lucky enough to do one, a, you know, one, one film every year since then. And, uh, me and Jen just finished this short film that, uh, she was in and produced and, uh, uh it was so fun by the way. I loved it. Yeah. Really single, great. single parent date night yeah. at a film festival near you. Um, <laughs> and it was actually the first time in a long time I got to work with actors. Um, and, Besides, I mean, I loving the script and wanting to work with Jen again, like that was one of the main things I was excited to jump back into um, because I hadn't talked to actors. I'd, I'd done what you've done. I'm interviewing people. It was actually a blast because uh, Christopher Tillman, the guy who wrote it and also acts with Jen, like there was a lot of different layers to the characters. And even though we're only spending eight minutes with them, I feel we really get to know them. It was a lot of fun getting to work with both of them and really kind of pushing them slightly to give you know, to really give it them, give it all. And they did. I mean, it's definitely on the screen. I've always loved working with actors. I find it uh, to be uh, a very noble pursuit and it's very brave. What, you know, it's very easy to mock. It's, I can remember one of my teachers at NYU. It's, it's, it's hard to create. It's easy to destroy. To be a critic. Yeah. yeah. And even if they're doing something that, might be silly or whatever it later down the line it's still brave like to get up there and put yourself out there and to maybe show raw emotions or to be funny or to whatever whatever it may be it's like i can't do it i know that for a fact so um i definitely have a respect for it in 2002 um another kind of like major milestone in my life was that i got tapped to direct hurley burley off broadway and so i got to go back to new york and work with some amazing actors. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you that two things. The text of David Rabe's play is it's very heavy. It's very long. The main characters who are just not good people uh, don't necessarily kind of either get their comeuppings or even find uh, the redemption that they should. At least some people think they should at the ends. And we were we were putting on this play like a year, less than a year after 9-11. So Manhattan was in a very strange place. But the play has so many levels and there's so much going on and so much subtext. And I got to work with just some, I mean, still to this day, some of the best actors I've ever had the opportunity to work with. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, not just as a director, but just as a person in life. Like it was just a lot of moving parts and it was so rewarding uh, when, when the play did really well. And actually, you know, I kind of had a, a, a small theater uh, life there for a while and got to come back to L.A. and, and, and direct Barefoot in the Park and a few, other, a few other projects, The Nerd. And all of it was what I loved most about 
directing theater was working with the actors. And the other thing, too, is, as, as you guys know, is that the stage is it's always evolving. And that was like the first thing that I had to learn when we were doing Hurley Burley. Was like, I can remember watching performances, and it was like, we'd have these rehearsals. I mean, we would, oh, my God, these like marathon rehearsals. And, you know, I was just like drilling and drilling that we had to get certain aspects of it right. And then you see it up on stage and the audience reacts to it. And then the, then the actors react to the audience and it's a living, breathing thing. It's funny to, to say this now, but it didn't even dawn on me that like with my film background, like you do four or five takes or whatever you do. And then you pick the one and it's like that forever. And when with theater, it was alive every single night and something different was happening or the actors would find something, whether it be right or wrong, whatever it is, like it, there, there was a, a relationship with the audience that was happening and it was so, it was like the tightrope act and it, it was so exciting. And so I really enjoyed my live theater days. And, um, like I said, working with the actors was the, was the best part about it, honestly. So I'm going to put you on the spot just a yeah. little bit here. What is your favorite thing about working with actors? And then what is your least favorite okay, that's thing? A, that's very easy. So um, my favorite thing is being surprised because there's been many times that I've worked with. Oh, man, he's totally going to listen to this. Uh, I listened to uh, I worked. I directed this wonderful play called Bear from the Park, Neil Simon. One of my good buddies was the producer and also cast him. We casted cast him in, as the lead male role. And. I deep down wasn't certain he was going to bring it or, you know, was actually going to be as good as he was. And he was fantastic. The character was, was a little bit different, very different than who he is as a person. And I, I'd known him for so long that it was hard for me to separate that. Oh, he's an actor. Like he can, he can take this part and be it. And it has nothing to do with who he is as a, you know, uh, in his everyday life. And I remember just being so pleasantly surprised that he didn't suck. And, uh, <laughs> so that was great. What I hate about actors is, <laughs> <laughs> and this happened to me on Hurley Burley and also happened to me on the nerd. And this really hasn't happened to me on set as much just probably because like I said, we're moving so quickly and actors, you know, I, I haven't, I've never done a, a narrative feature, so I've never been on, on a set where everyone had to be together for three months. But so on Hurley Burley, I had my main actor, um, and the main actress who basically carries the entire second act of the play. She, she only appears in the second act, but she is the, she carries the entire thing. She huge comic relief. And this, this woman was just a fantastic actress. I mean, I have vivid memory of this. I missed the subway. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to the turnstile. I see the subway leave. I'm like, oh, crap, I'm going to be 15 minutes late for rehearsal. So, yeah, I get to rehearsal 15 minutes later, and I hear shouting and screaming. And I think, oh, that's one of the other rehearsal rooms. I walk in, and here's my two main actresses, about, uh, act, actors about to kill each other. And they are just... She and he's she's screaming at him. He's like, I'm not taking any direction from you until the director show, shows up. I don't care who you fucking are. And he's like, I'm help paying for this play. I can get. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I thought maybe they're like, here's how naive I was. Are we doing an acting exercise? Right. Like, we, no, yeah, weird they, exercise. and it was it was from minute one. They absolutely hated each other. It was ego. It was uh, the the diva in both of them. And I, I instantly became a babysitter for the two of them for the entire run of the of the play. I would I can remember getting calls. I thought, well, again, just my naivete, naivete that I was like, oh, we'll get through rehearsals. 
They're going to see the common ground. Again, teamwork. Come on, guys. We're going to see that, you know, that what, what's good for each other is good for the, the project. And I, it just, I remember the second night she refused, she was refusing to go out on stage oh, man. because he had come in and whispered something in her ear and threw her off her game. And they were just both very fragile, emotional creatures. Yeah. And just, it was, I remember my production manager calling me like, you need to come down to the theater immediately. And, and I'm like talking every night. I had to talk both of them. I'd have to scold him and be like, leave, like, don't talk to her. Like, don't, like, oh, I only want you talking to each other out on the stage. You know what I'm saying? And to her, like, don't let him get in your head. Like, I'm like, I, and you know, just, we were all young. Uh, well, then, although, here's the second story is that I'm directing Larry Shoes play, The Nerd, which is basically just a big sitcom. It's hilarious. And the two oldest people in the cast, same thing. They, I get a call from the production manager like, oh, yeah, they're backstage fighting. Like he, 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 it was the exact same thing. He told her that when she did something on stage, it threw him off. And she's like, you're not the director. And mm. so here I am telling this 65-year-old man and this you know, 59-year-old woman, like, the rest of the cast looks up to you. Like, I, you guys got to get along. Like, what are we doing here? And that's when I kind of realized, oh, there's no – that's ingrained in who they are as people. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That had mm-hmm. nothing to do with age or, or whatever. So that's the one part of actors I'm not a fan of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, of course, we're not talking – and just to be clear, we're not talking about all actors. No, it's just of course a not. No, this is – I mean – Some actors tend to have a yeah. bit more ego than others, yes. and that usually ruins yeah. the work. And, I mean, and again, going back to what we were saying before, like, you know, I hired – I try to hire the same sound guy. Like, yeah, you can bet yeah. I was never going to hire those four actors ever again. Yeah, we talk about that a lot on the show, that we notice that people hire their friends. I mean, yeah. if you look at the film credits of any Clint Eastwood movie or, or, or um, Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at how many times the, some actors have worked with the same exact director. I mean, you have the same family coming together so much of the time, and it's because it's, you don't have to worry. And you that's a good trust word. trust these people do good work. Yeah, family's a good word. I like that, because yeah. that, that is what it becomes. Uh, so, so when it comes to theater actors versus film actors, you, you talked about Hurley Burley and it being this living, breathing thing and it was interacting with the audience and it's some, you just kind of had to be like, oh, well, now it's, it's its own thing. What difference do you see or do you notice or do you enjoy or not enjoy when you work with actors with a rich theater background versus actors who maybe don't have as much experience on stage? Well, um, I definitely feel that theater actors... And of course, this is a generalization, but I do feel that there is an aspect where, because the director is so, like, he's such a big part of theater that when you're working with theater actors, let's say you're working with a theater actor on a film project, where they they strive and really want that direction. You know what I'm saying? Um, Like my college roommate, this kid, Rob Bagnell, who I've worked with on tons of stuff, uh, he's a seasoned TV and film actor. And I only have to say a few things. You know what I'm saying? I, there's, I say very little to him. He knows what he needs to do. While I feel like people who have maybe been entrenched in theater, there's, I need, to, you know, I need more in-depth conversation about the characters and stuff like that. And, of course, this is a generalization. This, is, this doesn't uh, count for everybody. But that's kind of, like I guess, one mm. thing that I've noticed. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, and I think this is true going both ways, I've definitely worked with some theater people where I'm like, listen, the camera 
isn't in the back row. Like you can be, we'll be, use your subtleties. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And then I've had the other way around where I've been in theater and I'm like, I can't hear you back. Yeah. <laughs> like you're going to have yeah. to reject. Yeah. And there is a talent, as you know, to, to both of those things. They are, yeah. I mean, it's still acting, but there are nuances that are different for both. So. Mm-hmm. I, I've worked with some directors that <clears throat> I'm speaking, I'm thinking of one director in particular that I really enjoyed because it was almost like he, he just guided the actors. He just mm-hmm. made little suggestions here and there and was, was fairly hands off. And he just sort of let, he trusted the process so much that you just sort of got nudged here and there, but the whole thing just evolved. And it was always like, what the hell's going on? This thing is falling apart. And then two nights before opening, it was like, Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. And you, you just look over the director and he's nodding <laughs> with a smile going like, yep, yeah, see, I knew he just had to trust it. So, uh, some directors are very hands off yeah. and some are more hands on and you have to adjust of course, of course, based on the people you're working with. But what kind of director would you say if you had to describe your style well, or your philosophy? In theater, I definitely was, I'm probably too hands on. I mean, there is an aspect of like, uh, and I mean, I guess I just preach this too, is that if you're doing a text that's already been put up like a hurly burly or a, a bear from the park, like it's putting full trust in the text. Like it's, it's been done before it's proven text. So I, you know, it's kind of always nice to be able to fall back on. It's like, well, it's Neil Simon. Like, I mean, like we can't go wrong. So, but I probably am a little too hands-on uh, when I, when I think back on my theater days and, but that was, I mean, I don't know. That was the fun of it. Uh, I've definitely become less, less hands-on, especially moving in, in doing narrative uh film stuff than I think I was back in my early days with theater. And you've done music videos and short films and, and all sorts of stuff. So, um, I just getting back to your story. Yeah. You were shooting headshots for, for actors and yep. you were sort of on the cusp of the digital revolution. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big, that was great timing. It kind of was. Yeah. It was like my niche. I was definitely able to exploit it to the So how, how were you able to support yourself and then parlay this into a, a successful career? Well, the photography the has always supported myself. I mean, even to this day, photography, Pays, do you still shoot headshots? I don't shoot headshots, but I do high-end events or uh, some periodical stuff. But honestly, the periodical stuff doesn't pay. It, it's glamorous, but it doesn't really pay. Um, and then music. I do a lot of music stuff. So the headshots, uh, again, a kid that – he didn't go to NYU, but a really good buddy of mine named Josh Bernstein who went to SVA there in Manhattan was – grew up next door to my college roommate at NYU and, in Long Island. And – I've been friends with him since he was 17 years old and he ended up uh, falling into the music business. And now he uh, produces these rock award shows. He, he basically got me shooting music through that. So I would, I would go and do photography for the revolver magazine who he worked for um, and shooting different bands here and there. And I was kind of like their LA photographer. And then when they started the golden gods, which was their first award show, which he definitely was the mastermind behind. He was like, you know, we want to do like a cold opening and we want to do all these little, like these video skits. And I was like, let's do it. So that kind of parlayed me into doing, uh, you know, all this like film work with all these musicians. And, um, and the funny part is I actually, he was in town last night cause he's pitching a new, a new, uh, a new award show. And we were talking about, we were at the rainbow room and, uh, up on sunset and, 
we actually did we actually like shot a skit there with like Lemmy and Dave Mustaine from Megadeth and yes. uh, Rob Halford and all these guys like all these rock legends I grew up with like a classic rock kind of like I was never into heavy metal so I didn't know who any I mean I knew who they were like I obviously did my homework before I showed them set but like I wasn't like blown away by them and I can remember <laughs> I said this total stories last night I remember like putting a picture up on Facebook it was like oh I'm hanging out here's like me and Lemmy and Chuck Billy and Dave Mustaine and people were like what the hell how do you know all these people? I was like, I guess this is a big deal. I <laughs> and and now working in that industry for this long, it is a big. I mean, there's a huge, you know, being able to work with Metallica and and uh, Ozzy Osbourne. That's a that's been a blessing, and it was totally something I didn't. I fell into backwards. I mean, if I didn't know Josh, none of that would have come about. So, um, but it's been great. We definitely had some some fun nights with with some with some definite characters that's so cool business. man I heard a story about Dave Mustaine recently I can't quite remember where I heard it but it, I guess he was one of the original members of Metallica that's right yeah they kicked and him then out they, they he kicked, helped start the band yeah, yeah. And, and they were doing well and they kicked him out mm-hmm. and then they got super famous and mm-hmm. he felt so jilted I yeah. guess oh yeah that he went off and pure and, hate yeah he went off and you know did Megadeth which, yep. which by anybody else's standards is wildly successful yep. but he always saw himself as a failure because he wasn't outselling Metallica or, right, or right. something to that effect. They've, uh, they've since made up. Uh, but yeah, that has been, yeah, that's like one of those, you know, the, one of the heavy metal rock legends, you know, out there <laughs> about how they kicked Dave Mustaine out and he's of his own band and blah, blah, blah. Um, when are they going to make a movie out of that, man? That would uh, be, be a great, it flick. would make a great flick actually. Yeah. Cause, uh, all those guys are crazy in both those bands. Really? I will say, here's a great, here's a great Dave Mustaine, uh, story. So, um, and just how cool he is. So we, uh, one of my first gigs uh, was shooting him and a few other a few other guys, and but he Dave Mustaine was definitely the big guy who was coming in, and his publicist comes in and is like, like like telling all of us like you can't look him in the eye and you can't do and just all the usual Hollywood bullshit, right? And I'm thinking to myself, God, well this I gotta I gotta work with the guy. Yeah, I'm you're like, supposed to photograph. Yeah, like, yeah, what is this all about? <laughs> And so he comes in with his people and I mean like his publicist had scared me so much. Like they were doing a video shoot and there was all this other stuff. And so uh, I was kind of further down the line on whatever the production was. And I remember like we're all eating lunch and I kind of sit down at the table and he looks at me and I won't look back. And he's like, he's like, excuse me, excuse me. I'm going, and he goes, hi, I'm Dave Mustaine. Like reaches across, like shakes my hand. Like, Hey, why won't you talk? talk to me and i'm like oh hey i'm brian beasley it's like it's like i'm so sorry they told me like if i looked at you satan would come out of your head and chop it off so um but he was you know he was the exact opposite of everything that the publicist told us yeah we we heard a story similar to that when we talked to jenna fisher uh, on the podcast a few episodes ago um she she said before she was on the office she was pam on the office uh before that she was working beasley yeah i'm familiar (laughs) with my cousin (laughs) (laughs) she she said she was uh I think working on a, a movie with Eddie Murphy or Will um, Will Ferrell. Thank you. Yeah. So and then and that they were all told, all the extras were told, you don't look Will in the eye. You don't look Eddie Murphy in the eye. And she, her first reaction was like, "Are you kidding me? Like what a diva!" This and right. That. And then she she realized that just like they were there to do a job, and so it wasn't so much about like don't 
don't talk to me. Uh, I'm right. too important for you. It was more like, I, this is my office, yeah. and I just need yeah. to focus, and I'm a nice person. I just need to sort of not be deluged with requests for autographs and inane questions and things like that. So I, I just wanted to presence that because I think what yeah. you talked about is, is interesting. I think sometimes we get scared away into thinking that they're these assholes when really the most successful people are usually the most generous and gracious people you'd ever could meet. 100%. Hey guys, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed part two of Trev's interview with Brian Beasley. Just some really great practical stuff in this one. I love any time when we have a guest on who our listeners, especially listeners who are maybe perhaps new to the industry or haven't spent a lot of time on set or in auditions or whatever, can kind of listen to it and get just like a like a feel for what the industry with the onset life can kind of be um, that's a really hard thing to describe to someone it, it's hard to put it into words it's hard to give people that experience without them just getting that experience and I do think that's the most important thing but every once in a while we'll have a guest on that gives us uh, a really great um, sort of practical look into into that world such that if you had never been involved in the entertainment industry or you weren't a part of the entertainment industry um, you would still feel like you've gotten a sense of, you know, what it's all about, I guess. Um, did that make sense? I feel like I'm rambling. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and skip Picks of the Week this week just because uh, my buddy Trev's not around. And we'll get right to the outro here. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, A.J. Meyer, and of course... Trevor Algat, who uh, is, his voice is not with us today, but of course is always with us in spirit. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Godali Gubrick is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. And Grace Gordon is our new director of public relations. Fern Lim designed our logo. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes at our website, insideacting.net. You can also find us on social media and wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got a minute, please leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us out a lot. Special thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro, Viotogogo.com, and PrintHeadshots.com. And thanks to you, our listeners. Visit our website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, get links to everything we talked about in this episode and uh, the rest of the episodes, for that matter. And if you'd like, support the continued production of the show with a small or <clears throat> large financial contribution. You can make a one-time, no-strings-attached, tax-deductible contribution via PayPal, Square, or Venmo, or sign up as an Inside Acting member for just $7 a month. Visit InsideActing.net to, to learn more and show us some love. And that is it for episode 268 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, surprise yourself. Surprise yourself.